Okay, go ahead and be turning in your Bibles to Mark chapter number 9. Mark chapter number 9 is where we're going to be. And uh, we're going to be continuing our series this week, Refocus. You all probably can quote me on this part by now, right? Our desire in this series is to get a clearer uh, view of who Jesus is through the gospel accounts. And last week what we were looking at is Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to the top of the mountain, and there he was transfigured. He took on his uh, glorified form, and while he was up there, he spoke with Moses and Elijah and uh, was talking about the things that were going to take place in, in Jerusalem. They were talking about his death, burial, and his resurrection. And Peter, James, and John got a front row seat, so to speak, to seeing these things, to seeing uh, the the lawgiver Moses and the prophet Elijah and Jesus, all of them in glorified bodies on the top of the mountain. And what a tremendous sight this would have been for them to behold. And yet they were asleep. They fell asleep and they didn't get to see and to hear most of these things. And whenever they did wake up, Peter said, it's good for us to be here. Let us make tabernacles. Okay. And God ended up interrupting and rebuking Peter at this time and saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. And so what we learn from that is for us as Christians, we have an invitation. We have an invitation to be up close to Jesus, to have a relationship with him, to walk with him, to take his yoke up on us and learn of him, to abide in him as he is the vine and we are the branches, to spend this time with him, to cast our cares on him. We have an invitation, but too often, like the disciples, we are indifferent. We are asleep. We're not taking him up on this invitation and we are missing out on the things that he has for us. And in those rare times that we do wake up, we end up in our ignorance. We end up saying things that are foolish. We desire to do something that seems spiritual to us rather than actually coming alongside Jesus, getting to know him and walking with him. We want to substitute our actions for the relationship that God has uh, invited us into. And so our final instruction last week, whenever, uh, whenever God told the disciples, this is my beloved son, hear him. We need to get our focus off ourselves, off our works, get our focus on the Lord and learning of him and walking with him. We need to hear him, right? And so this week, what we're going to see is that while they were up on the mountain, uh, seeing all these glorious sights and all these things going on on top of the mountain, the other nine disciples were down in the valley and things were going quite different for them. They weren't having a mountaintop experience. They were having a valley experience, right? And so what they were uh, doing down there, I, I kind of feel sorry for these guys. They were really struggling. They were really having a hard time. Uh, but from them, what we can learn is how to live down here while he's up there. Okay, and so that's our message for today. That's what we're going to be looking at. So Mark chapter number nine, verse number 14 is where we'll pick it up at. It says, and when he came to his disciples, uh, he saw a great multitude about them and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, what question ye with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. 
And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, Of a child, and oftentimes it cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him, and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried, and rent him sore, and came out of him. And he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, and lifted him up, and arose, and he arose, and when he was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could not we cast him out? And he said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you again today. Just thank you so much for your blessings, Lord. We thank you for your word and for the things that we can learn from it, Lord, for the encouragement that it is to us. We thank you for the fellowship with your people, with the, the singing and all these things that we've enjoyed thus far. And we just ask you to meet with us here. I pray that you would just guide our thoughts and our hearts, Lord. Uh, just take away any distractions that would hinder or quench. And we ask you, Lord, that you would just uh, lead us in your word, that we could grow and increase from it. Lord, just uh, give me clarity of mind. Help me to say the things that are needful and accurate. And Lord, we thank you so much for all that you do. And all the things we pray in Jesus' name. And amen. As I said already, I kind of feel sorry for these guys. And so what was going on in this passage, Jesus had taken the three. He had went up on top of the mountain. And while they were there, we don't know how long they were there. Okay? It could have been a time. Whenever Moses met with God on top of the mountain, it was 40 days, right? We don't know how long Jesus and the disciples were up on top of the mountain. But Jesus left the other nine down behind. And everywhere that Jesus went, there was always a multitude. Within that multitude, there was always the skeptics and the cynics. There was the scribes, there was the Pharisees, all these different ones who were just seeking a way to catch Jesus up in something, try to find something against him or against his disciples. And then there were always those who were having problems and whatnot. And so Jesus leaves these nine behind to stay there and to minister in his absence. And so while he is gone, uh, the multitudes are gathering around. The scribes are coming out and questioning. They said, oh, you can't stand behind Jesus anymore. Jesus can't answer for you. So we're going to come and try to trip you up. We're going to try to trap you. We're going to make you discuss things that you're not confident in, and we're going to make you look foolish. Okay? And if that wasn't enough, a man comes with a child that's possessed of a demon and says, hey, I came to Jesus, but he's not here, so you'll have to, you'll have to do can you cast the demon out of my child? And they tried and they failed. And no doubt the scribes relished this moment. They said, hey, look, they have no power. They are unable to do this. It doesn't really amount to anything, right? And so the disciples are down there and they are completely floundering without Jesus. 
And I can imagine how discouraged they are, how depressed they are, how out of their element they are, because Jesus is not there for them to run to anymore. And so as Jesus is descending off of the mountain, they come running to him and they're excited. They are glad to see Jesus whenever he came back, right? Because they didn't do so well in his absence. And I find parallels for us as Christians in this passage. Because like them, the Lord has ascended. We find as Jesus was dead, as he died, as he was buried, as he resurrected, he spent some time with the disciples. He led them, as you look at the end of the Gospels, the beginning of Acts, he led them outside of the city. He gave them the great commission to be witnesses of him into Judea and to Samaria and to other most parts of the earth, right? And then he was received up into heaven. A cloud received him out of their sight. And the angel said, why stand you here gazing up into heavens? This same Jesus who has ascended shall return in like manner. We remember all that, right? And we are still waiting today for his return. Jesus is still in the mountain, so to speak. And we are left in the valley. We are his disciples. And we are left here to minister in his absence. And I don't know about you, but I don't want for my life and for my ministry to be what they had while Jesus was one. I don't want to be the loser in this situation. I don't be, want to be the one that's being beat up and kicked around by the world and by the multitudes. I want to be able, uh, whenever the Lord returns, I want to hear, well done, rather than where was your faith, right? So how do we live down here while he's up there? And that's what we're going to be looking at as we see this passage here today. As we see this passage here today, uh, desiring as Christians to be uh, faithful to him, to be serving him, to be living for him while he's gone, we find that he has given us something for us to do, okay? Whenever the, Jesus was up on top of the mountain, the disciples were there to minister to the crowds. They were there to minister to the people. They were his representatives while he was gone, right? We find in previous chapters that the Lord had given them power. He had told them, go out and cast out devils, go out and do miracles and heal and uh, do all of these things and preach the truth to them. Tell them the things that I have told you. That is what he has given them to do. He had uh, given them this task. And so they were to uh, preach, to heal, to cast out demons. And for us, we are called to be witnesses. We're called to be ambassadors. These are different terms that we find in Scripture. We are the body of Christ. What that means is that we are his physical presence in this earthly world, this, in this life in which we live. And so we are to be acting in the manner that he would have acted had he been here now. We are his representatives in this world. And while we're not here to cast out demons, while we're not here to heal the diseases and such, we are here to represent him to the world. We are here to be uh, light. We are here to uh, show love, to show compassion, to show mercy, to show holiness in this world which we live in. We are here to preach the gospel. We are here to live out the truth of his word. We are here to demonstrate his power. And instead, a lot of times we end up being powerless, right? And so we are here for these purposes. He has given us something to do. And so we are to be living godly lives and telling the lost about Jesus. We are to be helping the broken. We are to be giving them hope. We are to minister. We are to serve. And so that's what he gave them to do. This is what he has given us to do while he is absent, right? And that would have been a tall order, but he also gave them everything that they needed to perform what he asked. It would be uh, unreasonable for God 
to require something of us without giving us the ability to do that. Imagine, if you will, if you were uh, telling a child to do something, but you never instructed them, you never give them anything to work with. You just said, do this, and they're sitting there. Now what? But he gives us everything that we need to accomplish the things that he has us to do. We find with the disciples, they spent three years with Jesus, and he was instructing them. He was teaching them. Continually, he was pouring knowledge and information about God, about himself, about his plans, about how the world works, about what was to be expected, what was to come, what he wanted from them. He was instructing them constantly. On top of that, he was also an example to them. He wasn't just telling them, he was showing them. And so as he went about his life, he was demonstrating how to minister in this world which we live. He was going about and he was giving them a picture, an object lesson, if you will, as he was uh, confidently and compassionately going to those who were in need. As he was standing against those who would uh, stand against him and he was able to speak truth in love. He was able to uh, speak hope to the hopeless. He was able to do all those things and he was an example. So he instructed them. He gave them an example and he also empowered them. He gave them his spirit to empower them, to enable them to do the things that he had for them to do. You look at the disciples and they have preached the gospel. They had uh, cast out demons. They had healed the blind. They had done many marvelous works because of what Christ had empowered them to do already, right? You start reading through scripture and they were already doing these things. He had empowered them. He had instructed them. He had been an example to them. And then whenever we apply that to ourselves, I said, we have a job to do. We have something he has left us here to do while he is going, right? But he didn't leave us unequipped. And so he has given us instruction. He's given us instruction. We find in his word everything that we need. It contains all things for faith and godliness, right? We find in his word everything that we need to know about him, everything we need to know about this world, his plan for this world, his plan for the future. He has instructed us fully in his word. He hasn't kept back anything that was profitable unto us. He has given us what we need. He has given us examples as well. All throughout scripture, we see how God dealt with man. We see his love for mankind, his desire for men to be saved, his compassion on us, his patience with us. Praise the Lord for that, right? And we see all of these things as an example. And basically he's told us, go and do likewise. And on top of that, he has given every single believer the Holy Spirit. He says we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. He says that he has given us all that we need. He has given us his spirit to enable us, to equip us, to enlighten us, to inform us. And so we have all that we need to minister in this world which we live in today, to be a light and to be a witness, to make a difference for the cause of Christ. Because here's the thing, he did not leave us here to just go back to fishing. He didn't leave us here to just go about our lives as if he was never here or as if we were never saved. I will say this as a side note, salvation is free. Everybody with me on that? Salvation is free for us. It costs him a great price, but he doesn't save us based on what we can do, on the works that we do. He doesn't hold it over our heads that we have a debt that we must pay. Whenever we talk about ministering and talk about serving, we're not trying to repay a debt. We're not trying to earn salvation. But instead, this is flowing out of knowing him and who he is and representing him. See, the thing is, 
after I am saved, I can just forget about it. I can coast through life. I can live like the rest of the world. I can do whatever I wanted to do, and I can still go to heaven. That might sound a little bit uh, controversial, but here's the thing. My salvation doesn't rest upon my works. We are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So don't get me wrong whenever I'm talking about us ministering and serving in his absence. It is not to be saved. It is not to be accepted. It is not to repay him for anything. But it is because of who he is and what he's done. Because of the love that I have for him, I want to live a life that's pleasing to him. Because of the things that he has instructed me and taught me, because of the things that I know, that this life is but a vapor, eternity is forever, and every single living soul uh, is going to have to spend eternity somewhere, and we are here to show them and to teach them and to tell them about Jesus. That is a motivation for us, isn't it? And so we see that he has given us something to do. He's given us what we need to do. But what is it that we face in his absence? What is it that we face? We look at the disciples here. The nine of them now, Jesus is away. They've been hiding behind him all along. And now they are at the center of attention. They have taken their place on the stage and they are confronted by the multitudes. There are huge numbers of people that are flocking to them and they are looking to them and they're saying, now what are you going to do? That would be a little... Intimidating, would it not? That'd be a bit of a struggle. For us as Christians, a lot of times we look at the world around us, we're in the minority. The eyes are upon us. Most people in this world want nothing to do with God, want nothing to do with what we believe, right? We're like Elijah. We're out in our in our cave somewhere saying, I'm the only one left, and they seek my life to take it away, right? And so we see the multitudes, and the Bible tells us that the fields are white unto harvest, but the, the harvest is plenteous and the laborers are few. We can resonate with that. We say there's multitudes around us. What am I amongst so many? Right? And if the multitudes isn't enough, there are needs. We see that this man brought his son who was possessed of a demon. Now that's kind of heavy, isn't it? And they said, I need help. I am broken. I'm devastated. I'm in trouble. And I need someone to give me hope. I need someone to fix my problem. I need strength from this. And they bring it to the disciples. And I already said in our introduction here, I can imagine the, the father coming and saying, I came for Jesus. He's not here. You'll have to do. You ever feel like that? Poor substitute. And so he brings his problem to the disciples. And they say, how can we do anything about this? We look at the brokenness, at the hurt, at the confusion, all the problems going on in the world. We see men being ushered off into eternity, not knowing God. And we see all of these things around us and we can begin to despair. We can start saying, how can we make a difference in this? We start seeing the problems and the problems are so great. The needs are so tremendous and the multitudes are overwhelming. And not only do we see that, but there's also the skeptics. If those things weren't bad enough, the skeptics were in the crowd. And they are coming and they are mocking and they are ridiculing and they are just waiting for them to fail. You have any skeptics in your life? You're under the microscope. People are looking for you to mess up. They're looking for you to make a mistake. They're looking for something to invalidate your claims 
to invalidate your faith and your relationship. People are well are, are looking and willing to point fingers and poke holes in your faith every chance they get. There are skeptics that want you to fail. They are there are skeptics that are wanting to see you mess up. Every time that you hit a bump in the road, every time that you make a mistake, they'll point it out. Y'all experience that? And so these poor disciples are down there and they're just waiting with bated breath for the disciples to fail. And we being human beings, us being flesh, usually do. And so the disciples fail. And that failure is pointed out and it's used against them. And they are beat down. These are the things that they are facing because Jesus feels like he is so far away. You ever been there? And so that brings to highlight, we have to face our own humanity. We have to realize our limitations. Because for us as human beings, we want to feel strong. We want to feel important. We want to feel independent. We want to feel like we can take care of it. We want to feel like we're in charge. And then whenever we look at the multitudes and we look at the skeptics and we look at the problems, we find out that we are very small. We're very finite. And all that's extremely depressing, isn't it? Woohoo! So God has left us to do something. He's given us everything. Don't forget that. He's given us everything that we need. But when we take our eyes off the Lord, whenever he seems so far away, when he's up the mountain and we're looking around the valley and our eyes are on the horizontal situation, not on the vertical situation, we begin to despair. And we are tempted to quit. I already referenced this, but look at Peter. Whenever all these things were coming against Peter after Jesus died, he says, I'm going back to fishing. A simple life. I'll just live the way that the rest of the world lives. I'm going to ignore my faith. I'm going to ignore my relationship with God. I'm going to ignore the task that he has given me. And I'm just going to coast by and fit in and wait for eternity. I think many Christians are there. They're content to just coast. They're content, as we looked at a couple weeks ago, they're content of only going halfway, right? But here's the thing. There is a risk that we take with that. What would have happened, or what did happen, I guess, whenever the disciples failed? What happened? We look at this and we find, for one thing, this man did not get the help that he came for. There will be countless untold that continues to be untold. There's going to be countless people who don't hear the gospel that doesn't get saved because Christians stay silent, right? There are going to be countless people who are struggling, countless people who need someone to help them to bear their burdens, to encourage them, to show them the way to the one who can heal them, the great physician, right? And they're never going to find the way because we stay silent. Not only is that the case, but we also find that God's goodness is doubted whenever God's people do not serve him. Look at what this man does here. This man that brought his son to Jesus. Get back over to my page here. This man who brought his son to Jesus. Whenever he came to the disciples and the disciples were unable to help him, it caused him to doubt Jesus. As he came with his son, he said, if I can just get my son 
to Jesus, my son will be healed. And he brings him to the disciples. The disciples are unable to help. And then whenever Jesus comes, the man says to him, but if thou canst do anything. You see the doubt that crept in? This man finally comes face to face with Jesus and he says, if you can, if you're able, I thought you could, your disciples weren't able, maybe you're not able to either, right? And so what does that mean for us? As the lost of this world are looking on Christianity, looking on people who claim to know God and seeing them defeated and discouraged, seeing them not living for God, not trusting in God, seeing them floundering in this world, they said, I thought that maybe God could help me. I thought maybe there was salvation there, but it seems like there's no power to it. It seems like it must not be real, and we betray the God we claim to serve. Powerless Christianity, right? And the world is looking for hope, and they look in the church, and they say there's nothing going on there. So maybe God's not even real, right? That's what happens whenever we cease trusting him, when we cease ministering, we cease serving him. Not only that, it gives more ammunition to the adversary. Remember I said the skeptics are looking for us to fail? And whenever we do, whenever we're not serving God, whenever we're not living for him, they're going to point it out. They're going to say, told you there was nothing to it. Told you it wasn't real. Christianity is a hoax. There's a, and they're going to use us as proof against the God that we claim to serve because we're not living for him. Because there's no power within us. And that brings us to the place where we're going to feel defeated. You look at the disciples at the end of this. They came to Jesus in verse number 28. And when he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could not we cast him out? Why could we not cast him out? We are powerless. We thought there was something to this. We thought you were going to use us. And yet we were unable to do anything. And it is all a sham. Right? We feel powerless. See, the Bible tells us that we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. But unfortunately, whenever we withdraw from Him, whenever we cease serving Him, whenever we are walking in this world rather than walking with Him, we are going to feel conquered instead of like conquerors. We have to be walking with Him to be conquerors, right? We have to be with the one who is the source of our power. And so these are risks that we take whenever we are tempted to quit. When we are tempted to make this life about this world down here instead of about God and about eternity. We are not our own. We are bought with a price, right? We have a greater, a greater purpose whenever we live with him, when we are serving him. So he's given us something to do. He wants us to minister. He's given us everything that we need to do it. But if we get focused on all of the things we're facing around us, then we're going to be tempted to sit on the sidelines. And that risk is too great. Our God is too good. And so we can't look horizontally. We have to look up, right? Because I told you at the beginning of this, God has given us everything that we need. And so whenever the disciples ask him, why could we not cast this demon out? Why could we not do it? Jesus' response to them, look at it here in verse number 29, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. 
Whenever he refers to prayer and fasting here, he's not talking about some sort of a religious exercise. This isn't some kind of a uh, mystical uh, performance that you're doing. But whenever he says, this kind cometh not forth, but by prayer and fasting, what is prayer and fasting? Prayer is our faith and our dependence on God, is it not? Why is it that we pray? What is prayer about? It is me saying, I can't do it, but I know that you can I'm not sufficient, but you are. We are taking our burdens. We're taking our needs. We're taking those to God, right? And then whenever we come to fasting, fasting is a denial of the flesh. And so what was the problem here that these disciples was facing? The guy came with the demon, the demon-possessed child, and they said, we've done this before. We know what we're doing. We can handle this. They probably thought, okay, the skeptics, they've been making a fuss and everything. Well, let us show you how it's done, right? We know what humanity's like. And so the, the man brings his son before the disciples, and the disciples are ready to cast out the demon. They're ready to show the skeptics who's boss, right? And they are relying on their own sufficiency. They're relying on their own ability. They're relying on what they know and what they think of themselves and their focus, their attention, their dependence is not on Christ. It is not on God. It's not on his glory. It is on themselves, right? And so for us, when we're tempted to get discouraged, whenever we see the problems that are around us, whenever we assess the risk, and whenever we feel like, how can we do anything? We can't. He's never left us here to be the ones to do it. We don't have to figure it out. It's not based on our power, on our ability. He has given us all that we need. And the most important thing that we need is we need him. Right? And so this has come full circle, hasn't it? And so I know the middle of this message has seemed pretty heavy, pretty difficult whenever we're thinking about all of the pressures and all of the risks and all of the things that we're facing but on either end of this, God is sufficient. It is God that works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure, right? It is him that's working in us. It is him that's responsible. It is him that's bringing these things about. And we have to abide in him and he in us. For without him, we can do nothing. And so whenever the disciples are saying, we tried, we were going to show them, we were going to do this, we were going to defend you, we were going to look good, and we failed, God, why did we fail? Because you were depending on you and not on me. Because you were depending on what you were able to do. You thought you could accomplish it, but you couldn't. You disconnected yourself from God and you tried to perform for God. You tried to perform for people and not walk with God. The way this plays out in our lives, as we are ministering, as we are seeking to help, as we are seeking to share the gospel, as we're seeking to see people saved and see people grow, it is a huge temptation for us to think that it is all dependent on us. We know that we are supposed to share the gospel. We know that we are supposed to win souls and to see people saved, right? We want to see that happen. And we take it upon ourselves to do that. We think that it depends on us. And we start uh, bringing in programs and bringing in different ways and uh, almost doing a sales pitch and trying to use fleshly means to bring about a spiritual experience. Isn't that what we do? 
And we put pressure on ourselves. I know as a pastor, put pressure on ourselves that somehow I have got to make people understand. I've got to make people believe. I have got to convince them. And here's the truth of the matter. I can't convince anyone. I can't make anyone get saved. I can't make anyone believe. I can't do it. The Bible tells us that no man can come into the Father unless Holy Spirit draws them, right? God has to be involved in this. It's not my scheming and my abilities and even eloquence or knowledge or any of these things. It is a walking with God and with His Holy Spirit and depending on Him. He has given us the task of living the gospel and sharing the gospel with people, but it is up to God and those people what happens after that, right? I can't make anyone get saved. And then after someone gets saved, then we jump in there with the flesh once again. And we try to change and we try to transform and we try to pressure and we try to make people become something. And once again, I can't do any of that. I can't make you follow God. I can't make you want to serve him. I can't make you love him or live for him. I can't make you choose that life. I can't make you... The only thing that I can do is live for him myself and preach his word and teach his truth and pray and seek him that you would fall in love with him, that his word and his spirit would be sufficient and that you would grow in it. That's the only way it's going to happen. It is all going to be by him. And so whenever we get our eyes off of ourselves, when we get our eyes off of our problems, when we get our eyes on God and allow him to minister in us and through us, what we do is not so difficult anymore. It's not so overwhelming. The multitudes, not such a big deal. The needs, not so big because I am not the solution Jesus is. I'm only a representative. I am only pointing to him. I've heard the, the saying before that we are to be as a moon. The light is not ours. We're reflecting his light. If, you're, if you all are aware how the solar system works, the sun shines, the moon does it. The moon just reflects. And we are to reflect his light in this world. That's it. And so if we are relying on our flesh, if we are depending on us, nothing is going to happen. It's going to be fruitless. And whenever Jesus comes back, we're going to be floundering down here like the disciples were. I don't want to be floundering. I don't want, whenever he comes back, as I said earlier, I don't want him to say, where was your faith? I want him to say, well done, right? And so my final thing I want to bring out in all of this, as I ponder all of these things, as I think through all these things, as I have a desire to see people saved, for them to know Christ, for them to get the help that they need, for them to be following him and falling in love with him and growing in him. As I see all those things and I look at my own limitations, I look at my own humanity, and I am tempted to despair, there are two things that give me great peace from this passage. First one is that in spite of all of their failures, Jesus was able to come and minister in spite of them. That is one of the most comforting things that I have ever heard, ever realized, that oftentimes it's not that God works through us, he works in spite of us. Because God is that big. And so whenever he came down off the mountains, the disciples blew it. We agree with that? 
Most days I blow it too. But whenever God came, when Christ came off the mountain, he was able to stand before the multitude, rebuke those skeptics and those cynics, bring that man that had the need before him, speak into his need, heal that child, and change everything. He didn't ridicule the disciples. He did did say, uh, how long will I have to deal with this faithless generation? He pointed to the entire crowd, not to his disciples. Then whenever he got alone, he tenderly dealt with them and said, here's the deal. You were depending on the flesh. You weren't depending on me. That's why nothing happened, right? So Jesus is able to work in spite of my failures and my insufficiencies. And the second thing that brings me great peace in this is that though he is up there and I'm down here, I have a promise that he's going to come down here and take me up there. And I'm looking forward to that day. He says, I have gone away. I'm preparing a place for you. And if I go away, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. We are ministering. We are serving for a time. But the day is going to come when we are going to be in his presence. He is going to reward us for our service, for our ministry. And we are going to spend forever in his presence and out of the presence of sin and wickedness and all the things that we suffer in today. And I look forward to that day. And so though we might seem, we might feel at times in over our heads and unequipped, and as the disciples, whenever they looked at the multitudes when they were hungry and Jesus said, feed them, said, what is this little amongst so many? We feel that way a lot of times, right? We try, we fail, it's going to happen. But I'm going to bring my flesh back under subjection. I'm going to turn my eyes back on Jesus. I'm going to continue ministering. I'm going to continue serving. I'm going to continue pointing folks to him and seeking to give him glory. One of these days, he's going to clean up all the messes that I made. And he's going to take me to be with him. And I'm going to enjoy his presence for all eternity. It's a pretty good deal, isn't it? And so whenever we look at the problems we're facing, they're not so big anymore. In light of eternity. In light of the fact that we have his help, his spirit, his hand upon us. We are just representing him here until he comes back to get us. That's a little simpler, right? Represent him well while you're here. Keep looking to him. Point people to him. Let him do the work through you, in you, and in those that are around you. And one of these days he's coming back for us. Let's go in prayer. Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your many blessings. Lord, we thank you for this passage that we see here. And Lord, uh, sometimes it does seem heavy. It does seem difficult. Lord, living down here while you're up there. And Lord, we know that in our minds and uh, maybe even the way that the devil would make us to think that you are so far away, but we know that you never leave us nor forsake us, that your presence is always with us, that you are empowering us, that you are enabling us, you are instructing us. And help us, Lord, to keep our eyes on you, continue pointing folks to you, continue ministering until you return for us. Lord, I pray if there's one here today that don't know you as their Savior, that today would be the day they call upon you. If there's one here today that have been uh, sitting on the sidelines, have disconnected from the, their purpose and from the call that you have on them, I pray that today they turn their eyes back to you, that they would get back in the fight and continue serving you, looking for that day of your appearing. Lord, we thank you so much for all that you do. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.